0: James chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 9 through 12, and the message is entitled, Choose Your Words Carefully. James has gone from works, the evidence of our faith, to words, the character of our faith in chapter 3. James began by cautioning those seeking to be teachers of the Word of God when God had not called them or anointed them to take that test. In chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2. He says, don't do that unless I anoint you and call you. Next, James revealed that the mature believer has the ability to control the tongue. In verse 2 of chapter 3, the middle, to verse 5. And then James revealed the potential evil of the tongue. The last half of 5 and verse 6. So though we're still Christians, we have two natures. And we'll look at that. I wish I could tell you that when I was born again in 73, the old Xavier is gone and has never been back. That's not the case. And last, James reveals the inability to control the tongue without walking by faith in the spirit due to his depraved character, a nature of evil. And he's talking to Christians, verse 7 and 8. So, I make a choice every day, how I live, what I say, what I do, what I look at, what I think. I can go both ways now. As a non-believer, I could only go one way. As a believer, I can go two ways. So James continues to deal with the tongue of Christians that are not submitted to the power of the word and the Holy Spirit in order to control their tongue as mature believers. He's writing the Christians. These are Hebrew Christians. We'll look at that. And so James focuses now in verse 9 and 12 on the inconsistent words of believers evident by three things. Let me read here uh, 9 to 12, um, chapter 3. He says, Whither we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursing, my brethren. These things are not to be so. Does the spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And so, the inconsistent words of a believer, he lays on them, evident of three things. First, we have the accusation against the words of a believer in verse 9. This is a real scenario. Two, the confrontation about the words of the believer. In verse 10. And then notice thirdly in verse 11 and 12. You have the illustration to correct the words of a believer. 11 and 12. This is real life. It's not pine the sky. It's not denying the reality. But it's a warfare. Let's begin here with the accusation against the words of a believer. Verse 9. Notice James declared Christians use their tongue in a positive way. Speaking well of God. With it, we bless our God and Father. It's great that we can do that now as Christians. But notice he's addressing Hebrew Christians. He's addressing these, the 12 tribes of Israel, verse 1 of chapter 1 has told us that. And they are scattered abroad. He and every Hebrew Christian here he was writing to had a rich heritage. All the Old Testament, they had been redeemed from Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had given the, the law of Sinai and Mount Sinai. They had walked in the wilderness for 40 years. And they had crossed the Jordan in flood season. The waters just heaped up. And they were given the promised land. This is probably the first epistle, as you, if you were with us in our in-depth study. The first Christians were Jews. Hebrew background. They had all this Old Testament stuff. And he and every Hebrew Christian had accepted Jesus now as their promised Messiah as Lord and Savior. And so James said they expressed their gratitude to God with words coming from their tongue. This rich heritage just was theirs. All of them owed everything to God as you and I know that. All had the ability to bless God with their tongue, because they had a relationship with God. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall be continued in my mouth, Psalm 34 1. The capacity we have now, compared to what we used to have before, is night and day. James uses the word bless, as you know, which um, means to praise and celebrate with praise. The basic meaning is to speak well of someone. We get our word eulogy from it, and when you go to a funeral, you eulogize somebody, you speak well of them. This is the word. They spoke highly of God and worshiped him due to the full revelation of Jesus Christ about the Father because the Old Testament was progressive. It culminates and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. John one eighteen says that Jesus is the one that reveals the Father. No one else does. Jesus said, Have you seen me? You've seen the Father also. I am the Father, are one." And James notice expressed their new relationship to God as their father. He said, we bless our father, we bless our God and father. One article in the Greek for both persons. No Hebrew ever addressed God as their father in the Old Testament. Search it. Only as creator in the covenant God. The fatherhood of God, when it's found in the Old Testament... Has to do with the father of the nation. Never of an individual. No Hebrew ever said father I come to you. It was lunacy. You wouldn't do that. It's in the relationship of Jesus Christ. That he brings us to the father. Jesus brought them as well as you and I. In a new relationship. And he came to reveal the father. And to bring us to him. John one eighteen, John 14.6. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, James included himself by the plural pronoun, we. Notice that. and our. Even though he was a half-brother to Jesus, he still includes himself as a sinner. He didn't pull rank, okay? James was an unbeliever until after the resurrection, if you know that. His brothers sisters didn't believe in him until afterwards. Paul uses the term also, he says this in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty one: 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forevermore, knows that I am not lying. So Paul is a Jew who became a Christian. Hebrew background. Now he calls him Father. Never did he do that as a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Never. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3. And then notice James then declared Christians use their tongue in a negative way to speak evil of men. Now, here we are blessing God, positive way, now the negative. And with it, we curse men. He pointed out the inconsistency of the Christians speaking well of God and at the same time speaking evil of men. Now, James is not talking about bad language or profanity. James is not talking about gossiping or lying about people. James is not talking about casting some curse on someone. James is talking about wishing ill on a person through the expression of words. All of us understand that. We're in the world. Somebody does something. go, nah, I hope a car hits him. That sound familiar? Or am I just worse than you? (laughs) James is talking about wishing ill. The word curse means um, to desire and um, articulate bad things to happen to someone. This being the problem of the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, deceitful, desperately wicked, the heart, right? That's the sources we're going to see. This is um, communicated with the tongue that is full of deadly poison, James says, in three eight. Now, who's he talking to when he says your tongue is full of deadly poison? Hebrew Christians. He's not talking to non-believers. There's a real problem that's going on in the church there as they're scattered abroad. These things are going on. This is manifested by words, by an... In the Old Testament sense, the imprecatory prayer, petitioning harm and injury to a person, that was allowed in the Old Testament. Listen, Psalm fifty-eight six says, "Break their teeth and their mouth, O God." See, I love that. My flesh loves that. I, I, oh yeah, but but we're not to pray like that now as believers. I can't do that as a Christian in the New Testament. If that was allowable, that's the only prayer I would pray. The accusation is too obvious to miss. With the same tongue, a person praises God and worships Him. And with the same tongue, that same person pronounces words of desire evil on his fellow man. James is so practical. Notice James declared the reason for this accusation at the end of verse 9. Who have been made in the similitude of God. God created man in his own image, as you know, in his own likeness. Genesis one twenty-six. The principle here is expressed here in the participle of perfect active tense. Indicated by the phrase, have been made. Literally, have been and thus are. The Spirit of God... Not the flesh. My flesh remains the same. God breathed into the nostrils of Adam. The breath of life. He was made a living soul. Genesis one twenty six says. The soul of man includes the intellect, the emotion, and the wills, as you know. The body is a material physical being. It's merely like a glove. It expresses who I really am. It's used like a vehicle. Like you put in the glove on and, you know, but you take your hand off. You don't believe that the life's in the glove. It's the hand that's in the glove. James says, even fallen man has the dignity of a moral nature, a mind and heart that is able to comprehend love, truth and holiness. Even fallen people understand that. Now generations and people become depraved and more corrupt, but they understand right and wrong. They have a desire to worship. Even the non-believer, you and I used to be there. That is why God told Noah that whoever kills a man, he must be put to death. For in the image of God created he man, Genesis 9-6. First thing when Noah gets off the boat, he makes capital punishment lest the land be defiled and you first of all put a man to death when they murder somebody because we're creating the image and likeness of God and that's a straight principle for Christian and non-Christians who get killed and that's the same principle in the New Testament and you look at our land as defiled why? because we don't put murders to death if you're a New Testament Christian and you tell me it's not New Testament I'll prove you wrong now, you may, it may be your opinion, but biblically, the principle is it defiles the land. And the reason you put someone to death who kills, murders another one, is because he's creating the image and likeness of God, believer and non-believer. God, through the fall, did not allow the complete image and likeness of God to be destroyed, as you know. The image and likeness was marred, damaged, but not destroyed. The fall brought sin and death. The fall gave a sin nature to Adam and Eve, and it's imparted to every little baby that comes forward. Every one, of you ladies, that brought forth a new little baby, brought a new rotten little sin into the world. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's just going to just give them time. You're not going to like him at times because he's your son. He's just like you, a sinner, sin nature. God preserved the similitude of himself in fallen humanity. The word similitude, as you know, means likeness. Every fallen man still bears a likeness of God, though marred every woman, every child. The teaching of total depravity as taught by Calvinists or Calvinism is um, unbiblical. Let me explain. The teaching that man is depraved by Calvinists is that he cannot respond to the gospel unless God has predestined him and makes him alive first so he can be born again. They teach two births and that regeneration comes before faith. Yet the Bible teaches that faith precedes regeneration. Ephesians 2 8 and 9. You are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Faith comes first, regeneration comes second. Calvinists teach you're regenerated by God, then you have faith, then you're born again. That's two births, and regeneration precedes faith. Unbiblical. Real simple. You don't have to get real theological. Okay? The context of our text here speaks about all humanity, by the way, not just Christians, though he's talking to Christians. Though they are lost and dead and trapped in sin, they still bear the likeness of God, able to think, reason, worship, and feel moral responsibility as agents of accountability. Whether they believe in God or not doesn't matter we're all born with a conscience and we get nervous when we do something wrong when we're young and we, then we keep callousing our conscience and pretty soon it doesn't bother us it's like water off a duck's back right Romans uh, 1 18 to 32 confirms that God holds everyone responsible to conscience creation and history you're without excuse and God's wrath falls upon men that's the non-believer in Romans chapter 1 18 to 32 by the way it would be like a husband who uh, constantly um, expresses love for his wife to her and to others. And um, he's talking around the phone at the office and he says, oh, honey, I love you. I'll see you later on. And as soon as he gets off, he sees his new little sweet secretary walk by and say, hey, listen, you like to go to lunch today? His words would have contradicted just what he expressed over the phone, right? Two different things. Simple. The incompatibility of the words of a believer due to the fact that he has two natures is evident all the time. The old man still wants to influence and uh, uh, be subject to sin nature. The new man now wants to override the desires of the sin nature being subject to the divine nature. So it's a choice I have the old man, the new man. The believer has one body, but two natures can't manifest both at the same time. You have the potential, but you can't do it and be consistent and not be confusing. If I walk in the flesh, the old nature will reign. The source of my words will be the old man, my sin nature. If I walk in the spirit, the new divine nature is the source of my words. It's a choice. It's a decision of choice to walk in the flesh or in the spirit. If it wasn't a choice, then the the Bible wouldn't command us to do so. Paul says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which is created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians four twenty and 24. Listen to me. You put off the old man, and you put on the new man. Last night, you took off some dirty clothes. You showered this morning, hopefully. And then you put on a clean shirt. That's what we do. I need to make sure I put off the old man and put on the new man. If it happened automatically, I wouldn't have to be commanded as a Christian to do so and to obey. Be careful of the new theology that's coming around. That you you don't have a sin nature. It's just old habits you have and it's just, you know, patterns you have to break. No, that's sociology. That's psychology. That's not theology. Be careful. Behavioral modification is quite inferior to biblical transformation. If I am constantly praising, thinking, uh, thanking God and worshiping Him, and at the same time I am speaking words that express desires of evil and calamity to uh, happen to my fellow man, it communicates confusion and contradiction. And you have been a contradiction as well as I at times. And we know it. We're the first to know it. We go, oh. So then I have the choice where I say, you know what, forgive me, I was completely wrong. Or I say, you know what, I could care less, stick it in your ear. But I know you guys, again, don't do anything like that. But, you know, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. James is now speaking against making moral or ethical judgments in the life of people, first of all. James is not prohibiting confronting believers who are in sin. James is not canceling out the principle of Matthew 18 to confront a brother or sister who has something against you. James is simply saying that the believer has to be and live out the words of Jesus. That's all he's saying. Listen. Jesus says, you have heard this has been said You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you should be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew five forty three 43-48. We can't ignore those words, ladies and gentlemen. Either Jesus is speaking about a potential that is a reality or he's playing games. One of the two. The accusation against the words of a believer is that they are incompatible. All of us fall short at times. Notice secondly, verse 10. Comes a confrontation about the words of the believer. And James um, affirmed the contradiction of their words. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and curses. He indicated the obvious flaw of... Of such a practice. The individual speaking. Is a believer. That's the context. The individual. Is to speak. In a way. To glorify God. And he's to speak words that edify. Exhort or comfort the believer. He indicated. Nor is the problem with the contradiction of words coming forth. From the same mouth. That's the problem. The believer is acknowledged. And it's to acknowledge the blessings of God the Father with his mouth. How often have you been at home or driving down the street, or you say, "Lord, you're just so good to me." Lord, you're just how incredible you are. Where, where did that come from? Did that come from your heart? No, from your heart would come, God. Why have you made? Why did you put me in this position, God? Why did you allow this? That's flesh. When you worship God, that's the new man. That's the new nature. The believer is accused of cursing men with the same mouth. This fault is failure. Actual failure, not hypothetical. Unless we want to accuse James of speaking of something that isn't a reality to these people. If it isn't a reality, why write the letter? He's not contradicting what is written in the scriptures. The curses written are God's inspired word. Do you realize that? The blessings and cursings of the law in Deuteronomy 18 are inspired. If you do this, I'll do this. I'll bless you. If you do this, I'll curse you. I'll chase you. In Galatians 1, eight and 9 it says, If you or we or an angel preach any other gospel, let them be anathema. The strongest word, damnation, cursed in the Greek. So there's the curse of the New Testament. One who speaks against the gospel. Wow. They're inspired. They're real. Why are they real? Because the real potential of such things happening. Notice James reproved the practice of their words. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So he appealed to the believer with family affection here. Though James is a straight shooter, and he doesn't mince words, he shows affection. The word brethren, as you know, is used many times for endearment and family relationships. Born in the same womb, literally 18 times in the letter. And the word my expresses the possessive pronoun here. They're in the family. They're all Hebrews, first of all, who've been born again. So they're related by true Israelis. Hebrew back culture. And now they're Christians except the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Wow, what a commonness. Oneness. They belong to each other and we're accountable to each other. Remember that. If you belong to each other, you're accountable. As a family, husband, wife, children, you belong to each other, but you're accountable. Nobody can do just what they want. If we're a family, we're accountable. What are we accountable? Upmost. First of all, the word of God. So we only hold each other accountable to what the Word of God says, not to what I want you to do. Not that I have control over you, okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. Eight times James uses the phrase, my brethren, in this letter. The other phrase James uses is, my beloved. The phrase is found two times in James 1.16 and 2.5. When James uses either one, he is appealing to the tenderness and humility, hoping they would acknowledge and admit the wrong. You, as a parent, say, Ava, Emmy, Gage, whatever the name is, listen, uh, and you appeal with them with tenderness because you love them, your correction. You want to extract from them an agreement of their wrong. You want to bring out from them an agreement with God so that they can be right. It's love that motivates you. Notice he affectionately reproved them. These things ought not to be so. And the phrase these things refer to the two things which he mentioned and is emphatic in the Greek. Blessing towards God and cursing towards men. They're incompatible. The prohibition is absolute to you and to myself. The tone of the words of James are untransferable to words on paper. We can't hear the tone. Again, this is no stern authoritative declaration, but rather loving affection of plea to a sibling in the act of a father. Too often, um, people look at the the Bible and they look at it as uh, God being some policeman, just ready to whack them. Like he says, Gabriel, get the club. No, not so. And so a father confronts his son. Maybe he, playing outside, hits his friend or something, or is on the baseball field or basketball field, and he blurts out a profanity. And the father then confronts him and says, Son, I've taught you better. Now that son has one of two choices say, You know, dad, get out of my face. Or, Dad, I'm terribly sorry. Please forgive me. It's okay. Let's pray. that's That's what's here. Every believer is tested every day in many areas about what our words ought not to be. Our words to some may be that we will go over and help them move. Oh, yeah, I'll go over and help you. And then the next day, somebody offers you some tickets to a basketball game. And so you call up your friend. You know what? You know, I forgot I had a previous engagement. Now listen to me. You did not misspeak. You, lo- you lied. Don't go to the vocabulary today. I misspoke. I misremembered. <laughs> oh, okay. No, you lied. Are those tendencies still in you? You promise to be somewhere and somebody gives you some real expensive tickets? We're to be men and women of our word, right? Wow. Therefore, putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Ephesians 4.25. Now listen, Paul is speaking to Christians. If Christians weren't lying, why would he tell them to stop lying? They we're lying. Our words about our love for God might be hard to swallow by a husband or a wife or a child if our words towards them are always unloving, critical, and harsh. Now, we all have different personalities, but we can't cop out to our personality or say, Well, I'm Italian. Well, that's your problem. Or I'm Mexican. That's your problem, too. You know, we always want to put our culture, and that's just the way. No, 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 you're a rotten sinner. I don't care who you are. You're not to live in that. There's Mexican sinners, there's, there's Italian sinners, there's German sinners, but you're not to be a sinner. Forget the nationality, it doesn't mean anything. Don't use it as an excuse. It's the old man. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Colossians 4, 6. Grace and salt. Grace and love are always together, the Twinkies. (laughs) Salt purifies, preserves, and exudes thirst on a person to drink of the water of God's word freely. Hmm. The entire purpose of confronting people is to, because we love them and do not want them to continue lying or living out of line with God's word. The whole confrontation is because we love people. The whole confrontation because you love me, so you confront me. You say, you know, that really wasn't very nice. I say, you know, you're right, ma'am. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Please forgive me. It's done. You ask God for forgiveness. Get right with that. We're done. It will benefit the individual to grow, develop, mature spiritually. It will benefit the people around them. It will benefit the church because the church matures as well as the person. It will benefit the preaching of the gospel because the preaching of the gospel and your life will be one. And mine also. And when we fail and we acknowledge and ask forgiveness, then our life is one with the gospel, right? Because none of us are perfect, right? James four eleven says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of his brethren judges his brother, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And none of us are a judge. We don't know the heart. We we don't know. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing, 1 Peter 3, 9. Wow. You say, well, that, that's just not reality. Not in the old man. But if we're talking about the new man, that's a reality. And you have the example of the first century, Stevens being stoned. And I'm not talking loaded. I'm talking killed. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't lay this charge to them. Just like his master up on the cross. Jesus did it on the cross? Oh, yeah, but he was God. He says, okay, I got you. Watch Stephen. What do you do with the first century martyrs? What do you do with the Christians during Mao's cultural revolution as he killed them, tortured them, and put them in prison? How do you explain the Christians in Iran right now in prison for the cause of Christ?" And they flourish. You can't explain it away. No matter how many years we have walked with Jesus, no one is perfect. We're all imperfect and flawed. We're all learning until we die and we go home with the Lord. We are all to know, listen carefully, that seniority doesn't count in Jesus Christ. I don't care how many years you walk with Jesus. Seniority doesn't count nothing. You can walk with God for 20 years and be 100% beef the next day if you don't walk in the Spirit. So don't pull seniority. Don't say, well, I've been here from the beginning. Well, then you're really more responsible then. More accountable, right? You should be more mature then, right? The confrontation about the words of a believer is that they are irreconcilable. James reminds me of geometry. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. (laughs) He doesn't mess around, but he's loving. But today, James, they would call him a legalist of most churches. Unloving, ungracious. One who teaches law. Far from that. Far from that. Notice thirdly, the illustration to correct the words of the believer in verse 11 and twelve. James presented the first illustration to mark the incompatibility of their words. Listen, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? He presented the question as to the possibility of one's source of water to supply two different qualities of water. The picture is of a natural spring gushing forth fresh water here. The word spring simply means a fountain. The imagery was familiar to the audience since the land of Israel is very arid, very little rain. In fact, California is much like Israel. Israel. It's a desert. There's very little rain. The imagery was familiar with them and they understood this. A spring is living water, clean. Jesus told that to the woman of Samaria in John four twelve. The well, the cistern, is stagnant water. He says, I will give you waters of from living well, or living streams, opposed to the well. A stream flows. It's fresh. It's not stagnant. And the word fresh, the word is, see if you can f- see the association, glucose. It means sweet, and it parallels blessings. We get our word glucose, a simple sugar that is important energy source for the living organism. We get our word from it when we take blood tests. Your glucose is high or low, <laughs> Sugar. The picture is of the same natural spring gushing out bitter water. And the word bitter simply means that which is unpalatable, that which is not agreeable. And the idea is one of piercing, a parallel to cursing men. So you have this parallelism that goes on with James here. Now, notice he illustrates the single source of supply by the phrase, same opening. The phrase parallels with out of the same mouth. Same opening, same mouth. The illustration verifies the contradiction of the same person speaking blessings and cursings at the same time. This is an illustration. Now, listen carefully. You cannot push an illustration too far. Because while it is important and legitimate, it's impossible for that to happen to a single source of water. It does happen to a believer and with a believer who has two natures. Though a fountain of fresh water will never give bitter waters, you and I as a believer can speak right words and wrong words. So you cannot use the illustration to teach doctrine that as a believer, it never happens. Are we clear on that? Don't reverse them. It's only an illustration. He uses the illustration to make this point in his point. Notice that there should not exist in the life of the believer the blessing of God and the cursing of man who are created in the image of God. The question is a rhetorical one. As you know, it has only one possible answer. No, the two are incompatible. James presented his second illustration notice to mark the irreconcilability of their words. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear figs? He chooses the second picture from nature. Horticulture, the art of um, practicing, gardening, cultivating, uh, and management. And notice the question again to the believer is, brethren, can a tree, a fig tree, bear olives? God said he created everything after its own likeness, to produce after its own likeness, Genesis one eleven. Nature confirms God's words about creation. Fig trees only and always bear Fig tree, figs. And olive trees always and only bear olives, right? So the illustration is consistent. But the real person you and I is not. So I have to choose whether I'm going to live in the new creation, the new man, or am I going to yield to the old man? The question being rhetorical again demands Only one answer, no. It is irreconcilable for a fig tree to bear olives. Again, this is an illustration. You cannot push it too far because while it is impossible for that to happen to a fig tree, it does happen with believers who have two natures. Okay? He chooses one last picture from nature. Notice, the question is, or... A grapevine bear figs. One is a vine. The other is a tree. The question again rhetorical has only one answer. No. Three illustrations, three times. If he says that only one time would be enough. Three times. It is irreconcilable for a vine to bear figs. For the third time this is an illustration that you cannot push too far because while it is impossible again and I'm doing this purposely so that you get it it is possible with man. What man? What woman? The one who's born again. He's talking to Christians. Notice James presented the application of the illustration at the end of 12. Thus No spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. He gives his conclusion of a single consistent source in the source to the believer's inconsistency here. No spring. Fountain poured out. Salt and fresh water. The word again for fresh, glucose, sweet stands in contrast to the salt appearing only this one time in the New Testament. He takes the consistent principle of producing after his own kind and the inconsistency of producing different kinds to reveal the contradiction of a Christian blessing God and cursing men. Yes, we still have an old sin nature able to rule, if I allow it. It is present. It does not have to be in authority. But I'm the one who makes that decision. Yes, we have a new divine nature, able to rule over our old sin nature, if I depend on it. It is present. It has to be in authority. If it's not, woe to me and anybody else around me. When you're going to shower, there are two sources of water. You've got a cold water faucet here. You've got the hot water over here. I understand there's some new ones that combine the both, but let's just take the two. Now, you can choose to combine it at the temperature you want, a little more hot, a little more cold, so where you're comfortable. But you would never think that that's coming from one water source. It's hot and cold, and to combine the two, you can get a comfortable temperature. But hot comes from hot, and cold comes from cold. Not from the same one. It's the same thing with us. Our words must not be a mixed signal to those who hear us due to being, listen, a carnal Christian. When I'm around my co-workers, my neighbors, my family... Let's pick a better one when I'm around God. (laughs) The ultimate one. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer, Psalm 1914. Now, do you think that the psalmist prayed this because it happened automatically? No, he prayed this because he knows he had the capacity for it not to be so. We must... Be willing to examine ourselves to correct where we are missing the mark. No one is perfect as we said. No one knows everything. But no one is unapproachable. No one can say they do not need to grow anymore. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend. But one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead... I pressed towards the goal for the prize, for the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to this degree that you have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Philippians three thirteen and 16. He's talking to Christians. If you pressed automatically without any conflict, you wouldn't have to be commanded to do so, right? We must always remember what defiles us. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus was exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees when he said this. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man, Matthew 15, 10 through 11. Where does it come from? Listen to 15, 17 through 20. Jesus said to the disciples, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witnesses, blasphemy. These are the things that defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. What's with the hands? Because the Pharisees taught and they had rituals on how to wash your hands in a ritualistic way before you eat. Because you had demons on your hands and you had to wash them off and dry them off the same way. Because if you ate without unwashed hands, you would partake of demons and they would affect you. Nothing new. People teach today that Christians can be demon possessed. It's all junk. Jesus says, let not blame your carnality on demons. The problem is not your dirty hands. Your problem is your dirty heart. Wow. That's the source of my problem. If you think your heart is not your problem, you're absolutely deceived. It's our hearts, ladies and gentlemen. And until that is settled... You will not experience the fullness of life in Christ. Because you're always putting a twist on things. You're always blaming somebody else. You're always justifying. Rather than praising God, you're saying, Why, God? Ooh. The illustration to correct the words of a believer is incomprehensible. He nails him. Who is he talking to? Christians. Is he talking about a real problem? You better believe it. Here's the old Xavier. He is funky. He is horrible. I just thank God you can't read my thoughts. At times I feel just like you, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm the first one to say stop it. Lord help me and put on the new man. Christianity isn't pie in the sky, ladies and gentlemen. It's warfare on earth. But it's a winnable warfare in the spirit. And the enemy wants to draw you out in the flesh. Once he can get you in the flesh, he's got you defeated. Don't go to battle in the flesh. You'll come back bloody. If not destroyed. You put on the armor. Put on the mind of Christ. And you go to battle and you don't run. You're going to do well. You're going to be okay. Wow. James focused on the inconsistent words of believers evident by these three things. The accusation against the words of a believer is that they are incompatible. The confrontation about the words of a believer is that they are irreconcilable. And the illustration to correct the words of a believer is that they are comprehensible we can understand it it's clear wow can't wait to meet James in heaven tell him thank you for his little letter Lord thank you for your goodness your love your grace and Lord we just um, were humbled before you and before each other Lord that you love us so much, that you are so patient with us and so good. Help us to be more like you, Lord, and help us as Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. The Lord, if we are more like you and we are accused of being unloving and legalistic, so be it. But fill us with your grace and your love, that, Lord, we may be just like you. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you to be saved, to repent of your sins. If your heart's open to what has been said, then the Holy Spirit is here to show you your need of Christ and your lostness. That your sin separates you from God. And also that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died in your place and rose from the dead. And by those two things, he paid the price for your sin. And this is what God communicates to you. That he loves you so much that he sent a son to die for you. And that he made him be sin for you who knew no sin. That you might be made the righteousness of God in him. And if you believe God's revelation, then you can call upon him and have your sins forgiven and be saved. Wow. What can make me white as snow and forgiven all my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you believe that, you can call upon Him right now. And He's going to save you, whether you're in the balcony floor or maybe you're over the internet. It's called repentance. Repentance agreeing with God that you're a sinner, that sin separates you, His wraths upon you, and He wants you to repent by His grace. And He will forgive you and make you a son or daughter by grace to faith. This is your prayer if you want to be born again. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.